turn our attention back to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Mark chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him up to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. 
And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may it his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sermon title is, The Temple of Christ's Body is Destroyed. Does that title somewhat shock you? Does it sound a bit disrespectful towards the Lord? Is it sacrilegious to even mouth? I assure you that it isn't a fanciful way to get your attention. You see, during the final week of Jesus' life, the week of the Passover, Jesus taught daily in the temple. He ministered in the temple. His ministry in that week, in the Passover week, involved temple ministry. Temple ministry. And on one occasion, he cleansed the temple. You remember that when he made a cord of whips and turned over tables and rebuked the people for making the temple a place to do business, a place of evil doing and wrongdoing. And the Jews said to him in John chapter 2, what are you doing? What sign do you show us for doing these things? And what did Jesus say to him, to them? Destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said to him, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The temple of Christ's body is destroyed on the cross. We can't underestimate the significance of the temple, especially in Mark's gospel, as we have seen the past few weeks in this sermon series. His teaching, preaching, cleansing the temple, 
foretelling the destruction of the temple that will occur in A.D. 70. The temple will be destroyed because of the fruitlessness of the Jewish people, the Jewish religious leaders. Not all of them. But they will experience God's judgment and Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed. Why the temple? Why is the temple so important? It was the place where God met with his people, where God drew near to his people. It was a place of prayer. And if you weren't at the temple to pray and you were at a far distant land, you would pray toward the temple and the Lord would hear you if you prayed toward the temple. The temple, importantly, was a place where atonement was made for sin. You see, God ordained priests, Levitical priests, a high priest, to offer sacrifices for sins, morning and evening sacrifices. God prescribed the way that the temple should look. The architecture of the temple was important. The priests served in the holy places, but only the high priest served in the holy of holies where a curtain separated the two. Sinners cannot enter God's house unclean. Sinners cannot enter God's presence unclean. Sinners cannot go before God unclean un or defiled. That includes you and me. God requires holiness, complete purity. And the high priest served God on behalf of the people, especially in the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And on the Day of Atonement, only the, the high priest was in service that day. He did the morning and evening sacrifice, and then he did the special Day of Atonement, the special sacrifice that once a year sacrifice for sins, where he alone was allowed to take blood into the Holy of Holies. He alone was allowed to go into that curtain, through the curtain, to go and sprinkle blood. But he had to go through an intense purification. He had to be cleansed. They say that he, was, he took five baths in that one day. Five baths, children, in one day. He had to be clean. He had to wear different robes going into the Holy of Holies. They had to be white, pure, clean. And he had to sprinkle blood in the horns of the altar. For without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But what's the problem? The problem is that the Old Testament sacrifices, the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, could never take away sins permanently. And therefore the sinner had a guilty conscience. They had to wait for sacrifices. Jesus teaches us the profound reality and significance of His person, who He is. Listen carefully, who He is. He is the Son of God and Son of Man. He is the high priest who will lay down his life and intercede between God and man. And he will shed his blood on the cross, on the altar of the cross of Calvary. The temple of Christ's body is destroyed. And his work is a perfect work. 
for sinners. You see, according to God's plan, the Old Testament sacrifices, all the symbolism, all the shadows and types of the temple of the sacrifices are fulfilled in the one Lord Jesus. It is finished in Him. In this crucifixion and death and burial narrative, we see that the temple of Christ's body is crucified, it is, it is killed, and it is buried. Crucified, killed, and buried. And He did this, brothers and sisters, for us, for our salvation, to secure an eternal salvation and redemption. In the crucifixion portion, verses 21 to 32, we see this narrative, even in the preceding verses, the irony that Mark brings out. There is so much irony in this passage. What do I mean? For example, the Jewish council condemns Jesus for blasphemy, and yet all along they're blaspheming the king of the Jews. They deliver him over to Pontius Pilate and the Romans to crucify him. The Roman soldiers place a crown of thorns upon the king of Israel, the king of the Jews. Irony. The king of the Jew, the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't hold a scepter in his hand, but had nails pierced in his hands and his feet. Irony. He is a king, and yet he is stricken and smitten by God at the hands of sinners. Why? For you, Christian. As I preach, just think about what Christ has done for you. I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus as I preach. Fix your eyes on Him. The crucified one. And those who passed by derided Him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of the Jews, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Oh, how the King of the Jews became the object of scorn, ridicule. The object of shame and humiliation for you, Christian. Irony. The king of the Jews suffered a gruesome, horrible crucifixion. Blood spilling down his brow from the crown of thorns. Blood pouring down the wood of the cross from his hands, his feet, from the scourging. You heard that word in the reading, scourging. That's a whipped with bone fragments sticking to his flesh and tearing off his flesh as, as it's being torn away from his body. The temple of Christ's body crucified, being destroyed on the cross. At the hands of the Jews, the Romans, and criminals on his right and his left. Truly the whole world is against this Jesus. The world is represented by 
all these people who are deriding him, wagging their heads at him, blaspheming his name. Surely he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Crushed for our sins. Fix your eyes on Jesus right now. The temple of Christ's body is being destroyed with the purpose of giving up his life to be the sacrifice and atonement for our sins, the sins of his people, the sins of those whom he loves, the sins of the elect of God, the sheep of his pasture. He's laying down his life. He didn't save himself. He's not going to answer their call. Save yourself. He's not going to buy into that because he's on a mission. He's on a mission. And he knew this mission from eternity past that he would come to save sinners. The Father ordained the Son to be the Savior of sinners. The Son takes on human flesh. God with us. The one who tabernacled, templed among us. The one who would save his people through his shed blood on the cross. As scripture teaches, for our sake, he that is God the Father made him, that is Christ the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus truly is the Passover sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world being offered on the altar of the cross and shedding His blood, making atonement. And furthermore, He is the high priest. The high priest who sacrificed His own precious and perfect life on the cross. You see, the high priest had to offer for His own sins, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. He is the perfect high priest. Because he's the perfect high priest, he is able to make intercession for his people. And that began at the cross. The temple of Christ's body crucified. Then the temple of Christ's body killed. In verses 33 to 41, we see the death of Jesus. Darkness overtakes the land. Darkness, this imagery of judgment the judgment of God over the land, upon the Son, the wrath of God being poured out upon the Son of God and Son of Man. The wrath of God placed upon the Son and the Son satisfying the wrath of God. You see, someone has to pay the penalty of sin. Someone has to die for our sins. Someone has to bear God's almighty wrath and judgment against sin because God takes sin seriously. He is holy, righteous, and just. Are you listening? Someone has to be our substitute. temple of Christ's body is killed. Christ has become our substitute. The 
complete sacrifice for sins, breathing his last. Breathing his last, the text says. Uttering a loud cry. And we know in the other gospel, that loud cry is, it is finished. It is finished. Redemption is complete. It is complete. It is final. It is effectual. It is permanent. It is finished. Christian, we do not work for our forgiveness. We don't merit God's favor. We plead the blood of Jesus. We do not look to ourselves for forgiveness. We plead the blood of Jesus. We do not look to another for forgiveness. We look to the blood of Jesus. We try not to vicariously earn God's favor by doing something. Because that makes a mockery of what Christ accomplished on the cross in his death. It is finished at his death. Take note at verses 37 to 39. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. The temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain was torn. That curtain which separated the holy place from the most holy place is torn. Let's remember what the high priest did in his ministry. In the tearing of the curtain, the Old Testament administration of sacrifices, the Day of Atonement is over. Complete. Done. Finito. Done. By His blood, we enter God's presence. By His blood, we draw near to God. By His blood, we are reconciled to God. By His blood, we have peace with God. By His blood, we are united to Christ through faith. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. By Jesus' crucifixion and death, the Old Testament sacrificial laws and ordinances are over because they are fulfilled in Christ's death. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We draw near to God through the shed blood of Christ, His body, which is the curtain. The temple of Christ's body is destroyed because it is through His body that we draw near to God in faith. And it is through His body, His shed blood, that we have confidence that we are cleansed and forgiven and free. We have confidence that He hears us when we pray. We have confidence that through Jesus and faith in His name, we 
have a Father in heaven who calls us His children. And we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. Do you know your Father in heaven to be your dad? Do you have a Father in heaven? Only through Jesus. Only through Him, through His body. Do we enter through that curtain into the holy place, into a relationship with our Father? If you do not have that relationship with God, look to no other than Jesus Christ who died and paid it all. Repent of your sins and turn to Him in faith. And you too will be forgiven and free and receive life everlasting. The age of the earthly temple is over. The veil or curtain was torn from top to bottom, indicating an end of an era and the beginning of a new era, a new age in the crucified and risen Christ. Amen? Amen. He was crucified, dead, and the temple of Christ's body is buried. Buried. This is important because He truly died. He was buried. Even in our text in verse 42 and following, Pilate wanted to make sure, is He truly dead? How can it be that He's truly dead this soon? But not one of His bones were broken. Remember what we sung earlier? Psalm 22. But the soldier stuck a spear into his side. Blood and water came pouring out. He was dead. He was buried. Here's the important truth for believers in Christ. That by grace, by God's grace and through faith in His name, when Christ died, we, His people, died with Him. And when Christ was buried, we were buried with Him. Our sins were nailed to the cross. We were buried with Christ with Him. And then as we celebrate on Sunday, when He was raised from the dead victoriously, triumphantly, King Jesus reigns and rules forever and ever in an indestructible life. For the temple of Christ's body is rebuilt on the third day. We too are raised with Him in new life. We draw near to God through the crucifixion, death, and burial of Christ. And we rejoice. We rejoice on Sunday. A day of rejoicing it will be when we celebrate when the sunrise rose from the east. The Son of Righteousness, the Son of Glory, the King of heaven and earth, raised from the dead. Raised from the dead. And ascended to the right hand of the Father. And right now, right now, friends, intercedes for you and me. His work continues. His work continues now. So when you pray, you plead the blood of Christ, the name of Christ, the resurrected Christ, the ascended Christ, in His name, you call out to Him 
And your Father hears you because Christ is at the right hand pleading your case and interceding for you. Praise be to God. It does us no good, friends, if we have a dead Savior. It does us no good if we come here tonight to remember His crucifixion, His death, and His burial, and we stop there. If we don't come back on Sunday, we have a problem. We have a problem. We have a living Savior. We celebrate that Sunday. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we give you thanks and praise for your sovereign grace and mercy in our lives to not only grant us your living word, the gospel of truth, but to also grant us by your Holy Spirit a living faith to believe upon this glorious good news. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would increase our faith and draw us closer to thee through the flesh, the blood of Christ. That we draw near to you in confidence and in hope. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name.